What's going on, everyone? Welcome to episode two of Why We Love This Band, part of the Renegade Jukebox on RenegadePopCulture.com. This is where we discuss bands we both love and are formative to our music tastes. And we'll also, of course, discuss things like times we saw the band live, memories of their music, and just how much we enjoy the albums by these bands. And today, in celebration of the Army of the Doomstar movie coming out on August 22nd, we are talking about why we love Death Clock. Now, we'll obviously discuss why it took so long for this show to get a finale and a brand new album coming out this Tuesday. But for now, we have two main things to talk about. One, obviously the music. And reason number two, because the music obviously plays such a huge role in this, we're also discussing a TV show, that obviously being Metalocalypse. So I guess with that in mind, Mike, how did you first discover Metalocalypse and Death Clock? So I never watched Metalocalypse while it was on the air, but I kind of first became aware of Death Clock around the time around the time of like their um like their tour in 2009 with with uh Mastodon and um and a couple other acts um so I was high I, on fire and converge by the way <laughs> thank you um we'll probably talk a little bit more about that tour later but that was around the time that I really started getting to the band and you know, as embarrassing as it is to admit, I only just watched Metalocalypse from start to finish um, recently. Obviously, that is to uh, prepare for Army of the Doomstar, which will be um, a future Renegade animation episode that I am very much looking forward to. But yeah, this is one of those cases where I discovered the band before I discovered the TV show. See, for me, it was the opposite situation. So I mainly heard of the TV show first. Like one thing listeners might not know about me, I'm actually a pretty big fan of a lot of adult cartoons. Like even to just relax, I'll watch things like classic era Simpsons, pretty much any episode of South Park you put in front of me, the first three seasons of Family Guy, king of the hill stuff like that's really up my alley uh so a lot of stuff on adult swim i tend to really like as is so just i want to say around 2009 roughly at least at least going into 2010 that's when i when my family actually started getting things like satellite tv and then uh, I was able to watch stuff that was airing on Adult Swim more frequently. So I actually I actually ended up watching a lot of the reruns for the first three seasons. And I just thought, okay, this is kind of cool. But then when I really started getting into stuff like melodic death metal and a lot of the new wave of American heavy metal stuff towards the end of high school, I was like, oh, 
death clock have these these are albums too and apparently they're amazing i've got to check these out like i known the records that existed obviously but you know you you kind of get where i'm coming from like i mainly watched the show first and then started listening to the albums themselves later after the fact but just because they're both so intertwined to each other they're both incredible like i kind of feel like i can recommend both to anybody and just be like hey here's more of the great thing you're gonna end up liking i agree with that this is like if if you're just a fan of like that um classic era of adult swim cartoons from like you know the mid to late 2000s then metalocalypse is kind of right in your wheelhouse and then if if you're a fan of the songs that they play in almost each episode, then you should definitely check out the full discography. So I guess with that in mind, do you want to start getting into season one of the show? Yeah, let's let's talk about um, season one of Metalocalypse. But, but before we do, I just have one question, Mike. Do you have your knives? Check. Rope? Check. Dagger. Check. Chains. Check. Rocks. Check. Laser beams. Check. Body bag. Check. I totally <laughs> that up. I forgot acid, but I hope everybody gets the joke out there. Uh, I kind of got to be honest. Season one is just to kind of give everybody an idea of the format of seasons one and two and four. It is a pretty basic bare bones 11 minute episode kind of kind of dedicated to air in between some of the longer shows on adult swim i guess and potentially to go into toonami bear in mind i didn't have satellite tv until like 2010 so i don't know how much water that really holds but they're 11 minute episodes and most of season one is kind of just dedicated to let's just put in a hypothetical situation that Cannibal Corpse become Metallica levels of huge with Steve Vai on guitar and just put them into an everyday situation. That's season one. Yeah, there's there there's a certain rhythm to each of these episodes. You you got you have your setup, you have the band doing some something ridiculous, and then some somewhere in, in the episode you've got the tribunal, which is uh Senator Stampingston, General Crozier, and Salacia, and who and then, who are behind the scenes watching the, the band and just commenting on everything that they do. And then I guess we should also introduce our band members, just so that way we can give everyone context. So we have, and I have to do this as Stampingston from the first episode, Squizgar Squiggel. Taller than a tree. Toki Wartooth, not a bumblebee. William Murderface, Murderface, Murderface. Pickles the drummer. Doodly doo. Ding dong. Doodly, doodly doo. Nathan Explosion. And thankfully, that's not all we know. But yeah, just with that all said, basically, you kind of just throw Death Clock into an a random any day situation like let, let's just take the first episode as a basic example 
death clock go to norway to perform one song and one song only and mike reveal it to our listeners out there this is the duncan hills coffee jingle and of course with death clock being death clock they get all of their fans murdered at every show they play and in this case they end up getting their chef killed and they have to end up going to what they call it's what they ams calls a food library this is this is what i love about the show is that even though these guys are um you know in terms of popularity and album sales the beatles times a thousand they're like incredibly incompetent at literally everything else see this is where i kind of have to draw a little bit of a beavis and butthead comparison but at the same time they're absolute these characters are absolutely nothing like beavis or butthead just in the fact that we mostly get to learn more of them throughout the entirety of this show but granted most of season one is basically just dedicated to let's put them in in any everyday situation like a birthday party put them you know recording an album and one of my personal favorites because we have to mention this basically every episode has somebody from the heavy metal world involved and one of my favorite examples i always bring up is and i i just find this hysterical the episode where death clock go to finland and awaken a troll mike guess who voices that troll is that um, James Hatfield? Yes, it is. And they probably paid him thousands upon thousands of dollars to not say one, not one line of dialogue. That has to be one of the best gigs ever. I, I don't know how they managed to do it, but it's genius. But just kind of throughout the majority of this show, it is just kind of like, let's just amp up each situation, like introducing their family members, introducing bands that members had previously been a part of, like Pickles being a member of a band that's totally a parody of Guns N' Roses, Snakes and Barrels. And then just throw in things like how much they hate their fans, Throw in stuff like Squizgard doing a pay-per-view guitar workshop. It 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 does little things to mix up the formula, but it is kind of just leading to all the basic same conclusion of let's just let the situation play out and see how things go. And it, it's it's a formula that actually kind of works. Like I'm I won't say this this show has like um you know, the most visually appealing animation. It, like, season one especially is pretty janky at times, but that's just part of its charm. Actually, I was just reading this, I want to say about a couple of weeks ago. I believe Brendan even actually asked, hey, what is the cheapest show that Adult Swim has when trying to trying to gauge a budget for Metalocalypse? And then they just were like, this is the highest, this is the lowest budget. And then he was like, is there any possibility of this being any lower? Yeah, that explains it. I guess with that in mind, there there's not really much I can describe too much in plot, I guess. A lot of seasons two, three, and four have a lot more connecting plot threads to each other. This kind of just 
lays a lot of the basic foundation like uh like the one member the one uh clocketeer that's in disguise because he's a member he's sent by the tribunal to go infiltrate mord house and then he ends up getting killed and then arguably the most underused voice actor that i've probably ever seen in our lifetime we get introduced to the metal masked assassin and mike reveal to our good listeners out there who does the voice of him that my friends is george corpse grinder fisher from cannibal corpse how this man has not gotten more voice acting gigs beyond this show and beyond appearances in things like warcraft baffles me seriously like like he doesn't really even say much in like throughout the entire series but he is such a memorable character that like that leaves a lasting impression oh he's he's basically himself but at the same time they still give him enough of an identity and you understand his motivation why he wants death clock dead the only thing is you have somebody like Oftensin that's just not going to allow that to ever happen, which we should probably introduce some of the other characters before we end up forgetting. Um, Mike, do you want to introduce Oftensin? And then I got a really great impression that might terrify you. Okay, so um, the band's manager is named Charles, Fo- Charles Foster um, Oftensin, which his initials are CFO genius writing indeed and then arguably the best parody of van halen on the planet toki's best friend and rock and roll clown and wanted criminal i might add dr axel the rock and roll clown he does cocaine i don't know what to make of this character like some episodes i i love him other times, not so much. But oh, especially with, once we get to season three and he totally sells all of Toki's presents just to get more cocaine. He, he is he is certainly a character. Yes, exactly. But I guess that's just kind of the thing. There, There's so much charm to a lot of these characters that you just enjoy seeing more of them. Um, I guess with that in mind, do you have any like favorite episodes in the in the show? um just from season one yeah i think i think i think i have to go with death water because it's it's probably the like the most what's the word it's the most definitive episode of the series and not just because two of my my favorite songs from the death album happen to be featured in this one also, I can't be the only one that gets this vibe from Dick Nubbler, but is it just me or is he a parody of Phil Spector? Yeah, he he definitely comes off like that. For me, I've got I've got at least two or three that are probably my favorites out of season one. One is gonna be the Snakes and Barrels episode. That is just that is just the best parody of guns and roses we've probably ever gotten i am kind of bummed that better better metal snake off of death album one isn't featured on it just beyond the backing track 
but the fact that you got Michael Amott from Arch Enemy and World Dane to play members of Pickle's old band, have them reunite and take this drug called Totally Awesome Sweet Alabama Liquid Snake and just have them go through this really awful trip is just brilliant. Oh, uh, and then... hold on. There's there's one more that, that I thought of. Go Forth and Die and uh, Death's and death school yeah that that one just kind of goes by two different titles and that also has another the appearances from king diamond in this season are another thing i gotta bring up especially for blues clock just for that best possible casting because he does the voice of the blues devil that is good whoever came up with the casting behind this and deciding we're getting this member from this band they deserve a pay raise uh then i guess my second one that i would have to go with would have to be the fan episode which ties i'm gonna save a lot of my thoughts on the music for when we talk about death album one but basically death clock invite all of their fans to come to mord house just to hear one song one time only and it's exclusively about how much they hate their fans. Oh, Again, yeah, more, more, more land is is a fun episode. Uh, and then that also just introduce uh, that introduces the brothers in that episode as well. Like it's that probably was one of the ones that I rewatched the most in 2012, leading up to Death Album Three. And then I guess my third favorite would have to be the Metalocalypse has begun where it this kind of introduces a lot more of the story where the tribunal tries to attack Death Clock right as they're performing the Death Water album in its entirety. And then the Metal Masked Assassin tries to kill them and then often says the best possible line to him. Hey, that's my bread and butter you're with. Oh, uh, a noise just happened. Mike, uh, care to tell our listeners as well what we're doing every time we swear in this episode? So at least for the first two seasons, whenever the characters swore, um, the sensor was the sound of like, you know, guitar distortion. It was a pinch harmonic, actually. Um, but yeah. That is the sensor for at least, again, at least the first two seasons. And it, it's, it's again, part of the charm. Yes. And especially just to kind of keep it in line with the show and just to see how much we can annoy Kiona possible. We're going to be swearing a lot in this episode. So, Mike, go f- nuts. Oh, yes. we. <laughs> this is Kiona with an editor's note. How many f- times do I have to f- do this you mother thank you very much goodbye we we will be cursing quite a bit um but before yeah. before before we get too far away from it i do want to give a shout out to the late john schnepp who created the character designs for death clock and has directed at least a good majority of the series I actually was lucky enough to have one interaction with him on Facebook like years ago, and it was exclusively from just saying how great Metalocalypse was, and he was cool enough to like my comment, like little stuff like that. So rest in peace, dude. It it sucks you didn't get to see this show end. 
Yeah, I I got to meet him at uh, New York Comic Con back in 2017. He w- he was there um, to promote his Slayer comic, and I got a signed copy of that from him. Oh, that is wicked. I guess with that in mind, uh, I guess to transition away from you know the the loss of somebody formative to this show being created, let's hop right into Death Album One. Yeah. So just to bear in mind for people not familiar with the actual albums, there are in real life albums that are released under the Death Clock name. That is music from the TV series. So literally, we just get more of what we already enjoy out of the show, just in full-blown music form and as a touring band, I have to add. Which uh, I'll actually introduce the band on this one, Mike, because we've got Gene the Atomic Clock Hoagland pretty much in every one of your favorite heavy metal bands doing the drum work. And then we also have... We also have Brian Beller, who was a he's a bass player who does work for people like Joe Satriani, big influence on Brendan Small. He does a lot of like super proggy out there type stuff. And then you also have uh, Mike Neely as well, who if you don't know who he is, he does a lot of like prog rocky type stuff as well. So, yeah, we get literally some of the best musicians on the planet making music for this show yep and i guess with that in mind these are kind of tough albums to review because you can't just review this one in particular i'm gonna say because this is one part comedy album but also one part soundtrack but also one part uh, i kind of just don't know what to even say at this rate because it just kind of covers the gamut but it's a tribute to heavy metal but also some of the best made original metal you'll probably ever hear here's here's the thing about parody and the best kind of parodies they're the ones that are labors of love and that couldn't be a better descriptor for the first death clock album it is even as wikipedia states both a parody and a pastiche of heavy metal yeah and that's a lot of my things that i don't like about you know stuff that's i'm kind of picky when it comes to stuff that's super jokey like if it's something that's just calling metal stupid the entire time it's like that's not even remotely funny that's just you being condescending towards metalheads the entire time but with this it feels more just like let's give you amazing guitar work amazing drumming have legitimately good production on this but have the most ridiculous over-the-top lyrics possible that you cannot take it seriously i mean we have a song that's called blood tricuted on it and it's literally the entire chorus is about how you cut your wrists go to solid land and then wait at the right moment and then lash your blood out at the outlet and you blood tricute them (laughs) seriously if you're taking death album one this seriously like beyond just the music because the music's obviously phenomenal but just none of these lyrics you can take seriously but at the same time it works in the context of the show but it also can make you laugh outside of that context agreed and i think the 
the reason why this album works as well as it does is because they have top tier talent like actually in the in the recordings like i i had no idea until i heard songs like um go forth and die or go into the water that oh shoot uh brendan small can actually play Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, I think this might have been the first thing that I'm just going on his Wikipedia page right now. Sounds like this was like the first major thing that he ever put out. So yeah, on one hand, it has obviously older talent that has legacy behind it. But at the same time, you're introducing brand new talent in Brendan Small getting to basically worship his idols and Joe Satriani and Steve Vai, especially with Thunder Horse in particular. Mm, yes. There's a bit of mom scene in there too. Yeah, exactly. Like he was super big into watching like the demonstration VHS tapes when he was a kid. I've heard him talk about in interviews. So you can hear bits of that for all the Squizgar stuff on the album. But any tracks that you think are particular standouts, Mike? Um, well, I, I have to say Mermaider is probably one of the best, um, openings for, for an album that is kind of both a parody and a love letter to death metal. Oh yeah. There's totally bits where I can see where I ended up getting into a lot of slam bands like Devourment or Ingested, where it's like, just how much it's just slamming on the kit in those riffs. It's just attacking you. And some of the other standouts are Awaken, Go Forth and Die, Fan Song. Yeah, Fan it's... Song in particular is just awesome. Like, how can you not love it? We're even going to get Kiona to drop in a sample of just some of the lyrical genius of this. And if you can't laugh, grin, and want to headbang to this, Kiona, just play the clip of the song and just give our listeners an idea of what we're talking about yeah what am i some kind of <laughs> edit monkey okay here's your <laughs> clip It's it's honestly hard to pick a favorite from these tracks because they all they all have something something great to offer. Like Death Harmonic Death Harmonic. Did you ever did you ever think that they were that they would um do a parody of that era where metal bands were frequently collaborating with like large fifty piece orchestras? Well, I mean, you gotta remember that Dimmu Borgir and Cradle of Filth were things in the two thousands. So I mean you gotta bear that in mind and then as well just throw in stuff like for me some of my favorite standout tracks are i'm gonna have to go with awaken go into the water obviously for me blood tricuted fan song and then hatred copter as well but then you also have to throw in face fisted like he's the only way i can describe face fisted's lyrics is if Five Finger Death Punch for a Change didn't take themselves that seriously. Accurate. I mean, we're, we're literally talking about a song here where the chorus is, I'm so f- tough, I'm so f- tough, that's right, repeat. 
So I mean, you you really can't take any of these lyrics ultra seriously, but just again, context of the show, they work super well for what they're going for. If you want something that's funny, but at the same time, you have some great music backing behind it. I highest recommendation for this record. Now, here's a question. We're we're going to talk about um, some bonus tracks, but is Death Album One the only the only album to have um, bonus material? Pretty much every bonus material for I only got the deluxe edition of Death Album Three, but basically Death Album Two got a live DVD with Death Album Three was just music videos and a making of documentary. That's it. Hmm. Okay, because we because we have to talk about some of these songs on the deluxe edition. Yeah, absolutely. Because this is the only place you're gonna end up hearing the Duncan Hills coffee jingle. But there's more to it than just that. This basically, dare I say, gets experimental in a few places. Hmm. Basically, to kind of elaborate on what I mean by experimental, there's from the Blues Clock episode. There's a song called Murder Train Coming where Mashed Potatoes Johnson from the episode shows up and it just turns into a regular four-bar blues song. And it's just kind of amazing on here that it just breaks from the death metal formula and then it just cuts right back into it after that blues section. I think that's kind of awesome. Yeah, I think this I think this might be the first time that I've heard a death metal blues mashup like like we know death and roll is is a genre, but th- this one is specifically like um like blues oriented. And I can't think of another song I've heard since then that has tried anything similar. And then we also have to bring up the Snakes and Barrels cover Kill You on this thing as well, like. That's the thing I kind of wish, as great as Death Album 2 and 3 are, my thing is I do kind of wish that they did get more experimental with each record, giving each character on the show kind of their own personality to kind of shine through. Like, we got one for Pickles, obviously. We got one for, in this case, the band and Mashed Potato Johnson, but... How cool would it have been if we finally got to hear that Planet Piss song that Murderface was working on? Oh yeah. And even like, even though even though he's not like technically in the band, I I would have liked to hear maybe like a song or two from Dr. Roxo's old band. Zaz Blammy Bataz. Yeah, that would have been killer too. Like I'm not gonna bitch about something that in this case doesn't actually exist outside of the show but it's just a cool little what if it kind of would have broken up some stuff in between you know brendan basically just doing a three and a half minute skit where the band basically tunes their guitar so high they end up snapping strings it's so it it is is a great sketch it's funny but at the same time you kind of can't help but go it would be even cooler if you threw a song in there, maybe. Yeah, the fact the fact that it's like it, it it's like at the end of the uh the bonus disc, it's like, wait, but that but that's it? Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, it's also bonus material. I guess we can't complain that much that we're getting more of the thing we like. Yeah, fair. 
And I guess to kind of throw this into the mix, so obviously I mentioned at the beginning of this that Death Clock would, of course, end up performing live on tour. So in 2007, they obviously did a tour with, and you will know us by the Trail of Dead, but the noteworthy one that I personally would have gone to, I actually have two. There's two noteworthy death clock shows that i personally would have loved to have seen and one would have been a summer tour that they did with camara oh yeah i heard about that one that would have been aw- mostly just because i never got to see camara live me neither and then as well they got to play at my festival of choice here in canada they played heavy montreal basically opening up for iron maiden okay that is awesome Oh, yeah, that 2008 lineup is just phenomenal. Like, you have Typo Negative playing day one, one of Peter Steele's last shows ever, Three Inches of Blood, Hatebreed, Mastodon, Overkill, Symphony X. Like, I I would have shelled out money to go see day one alone. So, I guess with that in mind, do you want to hop into season two? Yes, let's talk about season two. So... Uh, I'm going to be kind of honest. This is where a lot more story elements and honestly, the tone gets a little bit like we're already kind of dealing with dark humor as is. But is it just me? Is season two darker? Yes. Yes. Season two definitely takes on a darker tone. And I think that's probably because we get to see we get to see a couple things. One, we see a lot more of um the like the mask the man in the silver mask voiced by a uh, corpse grinder and then this is the season where the revengeancers are the main antagonist like the tribunal is still obviously the villain but the entire concept of the revengeancers is that the jean fru brothers well in this case brother because eric i i'm just pulling up to fact check myself right now hang on yes i'm actually i was wrong so yeah eric in season one gets murdered in the fan clock episode and then edgar basically escapes mordhouse's prison and joins up with the metal masked assassin to form the revengeancers a bunch of angry death clock fans that either mutilated them or murdered somebody in their family from one of their live shows they basically all are joining up for the same cause they want death clock dead so most of this season is basically often trying to protect death clock from getting killed by this group but also kind of trying to figure out what's going on at the same time and i also just want to bring up how stellar a lot of these guest voice actors are like In the Death Fashion episode, they got the man, the myth, the legend himself. Ishan from Emperor is the fashion designer. That is, that is cool. That is, his character is as evil as any black metal album. Like, he's just diabolical, starving all of his models to literal death. And then Death Clock get the genius idea to hire him and make them lose a shitload of weight. <laughs> like, that's just unreal. And then you obviously have Devin, Devin Townsend guests in a lot of these, I found. Yeah, and a couple of them are, like, back-to-back. 
Oh yeah, exactly. Like as soon as uh, there's one episode where he's just literally like, "You're Nathan Explosion from Deathlock," and I'm like, "That's Debbie right there." I couldn't help but point that out as soon as I heard it. An- another uh, um, frequent guest is uh, Lorraine Newman. Uh, she she shows yeah. up in in like in various episodes. Yeah, th- that's something that we're going to kind of bring up more uh, once we get into later seasons is that eventually they start getting like full-blown celebrities to be in this show. But probably my favorite guest appearance of like bands, and in this case I can say bands because they literally got all of Exodus to be in the Revengeancers episode to be horribly disfigured death clock fans trying to protect them from the masked assassin okay that's that that is cool the close second would have to be angela gasso from arch enemy literally leading a group that wants to breed with nathan just so that way they can bear his children (laughs) and literally building a gun so that way it can rip his (laughs) off like that's that's just hysterical to me I'm I'm always curious, like like the reactions of of these guests when they hear the character that they're playing. Uh, I kind of have the feeling that they might be in on it, especially when it comes to. I think you and me might have the same favorite episode from this season. Is your favorite going to be Snakes and Barrels too? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to explain this for our our great listeners who put up with us for this. So Snakes and Barrels 2, after the disastrous Snakes and Barrels reunion, Pickles watches an episode of Where Are They Now Now, where he finds out that Snakes and Barrels reformed with a brand new lead singer, Ricky Kicks. Mike, reveal to us who voices Ricky Kicks. Motherfucking Mike Patton. From Faith No More, Mr. Bungle, Tomahawk, and basically any weird fucked up band you will listen to in your lifetime as a sober coach that hates being sober. The dissonance (laughs) is just off the charts. I I totally think that Brendan Small had a genius reason for casting him. It is well documented that Faith No More hated opening for Guns N' Roses on the on the disastrous Metallica Guns N' Roses co-headliner. So I have the feeling it's a little bit of a piss take having him be this character. The more I think about it, the the more that makes sense. Oh, and just to kind of add to the dose of this is just unbelievably hysterical and I can't believe I never thought of this. He's the only character in this show to get Dr. Rock so sober. And how long does that last exactly? probably about i believe he says in the show he's been sober about six months give or take and then literally as soon as pickles tries to sneak into the show they confiscate his pie and a bag of coke and the end of the episode is him literally painting his face with the pie and the bag of coke (laughs) but Basically, this is kind of the first introduction to what season three would be a little bit more like, where this is basically this was basically a two part episode and part two involves probably one of my favorite dark Toki moments 
where they agree to go to this concert where everybody there has to be sober and Toki is like, hey, I just want to have fun at this show. I'm going to go and have a good time. I don't need to drink. But then Squizgar and Nathan are like, "Eh, I want to try and get some booze. And then there's a genius subplot where Toki steals the planet piss IP and ends up making a very graphic website dedicated to murder face and he wants toki dead over this but here's the catch in the middle of all this toki is being annoyed by a fan behind him that's getting all personal and up in his face mike reveal to our listeners out there what toki proceeds to do to this guy basically kills him yeah, he basically beats him to death and starts calling him a mother every word, every other word, and just says, I'll kill you. To the point where even Murderface, the man named Murderface, is terrified of him. Like, it, this is kind of just one of those shows that you, ca- you have to take a step back and go, one part of me wants to take this seriously but at the same time i absolutely just can't given how over the top it is but that's again what makes it so charming and with yeah like obviously given the network this was broadcasting on i cannot recommend this to anyone under the age of 17 but at the same time um at, at the same time, we were I we were both probably younger than that when we first were exposed to this. Like, oh surfing. yeah, I was I was probably fourteen or fifteen when this show was airing, and watched it. So I mean, like, if you're that age, I can see you getting away with it. Yeah, but kind kind of like what you said earlier, the it the show has this like it it walks that line between like dark and kind of gruesome at times to just juvenile and silly. Oh, absolutely. Even when we get to season three with another one of my absolute favorites, I should ask this before we go any further. Mike, who's your favorite character and why is it Toki? My second favorite character is honestly, um, Offerson because Offenson. Yeah. yeah, Offenson because We'll, we'll we'll get to it when we talk about the latter half of the series, but beyond beyond just acting as the band's manager, he's basically a sing, a single father. Oh, yeah, like he basically is taking care of a bunch of man children who just were given thousands upon thousands upon millions of dollars and Brilliant. just became the biggest band in the world. And yet somehow he manages to make all the best financial business decisions for the band that just keeps making them more and more boatloads of money. I think by the end of season two, Death Clock is the um, seventh largest, um, like the seventh largest economy in the world. Pretty much, especially once they end up recording their new album at that point in the show. I guess with that, we should probably, we're already spoiling most of this show anyways. We kind of have to reveal a major point where the Revengeancers attack Mordhouse, and for a minute there, you think Oftensen is dead. Yep. Like, the fact that this show is ballsy enough to kill off a main character and then... Again, another spoiler alert. 
end up bringing them back in the very next season and somehow make it organic is kind of a big accomplishment. Yeah. So when I was watching this show, the last two um, episodes or like De- Death Record and Death Release, I-, I don't know if this is the same on the Adult Swim website, but on HBO Max, it was just one episode. So yeah, for I, me- I-, I accidentally um, finished season two and started season three sort of at the same like like with that with like without taking a break i'm like oh wow that's um that's quite quite the jump in in quality yeah i mean that because i guess we might as well drop this about season three before we talk about death album two yeah this is where the show starts playing around with the concept of going towards like half hour episodes so i i can kind of see where you're coming from i guess in terms of like jump in quality because i'd have to imagine it was popular enough to get a larger budget yeah i don't have exact details on you know with like exactly what the budget was for season three i just know what my eyes saw i definitely noticed like higher quality animation smoother motion of the characters just like you know details like that that stick out yeah exactly with uh all of that in mind then how about we hop into death album two yes just just like death album one death album two (laughs) slaps for me i I, i'm gonna throw this in there i don't think that death album two is nearly as funny and that's kind of what i love about it they're, they're like beyond just some of like the song titles and ideas like laser cannon death sentence literally has the chorus die in it i mean y- you still can't take it that seriously but just given some of the music on display here you kind of can't help but feel like am i supposed to take this almost seriously the only reason you can't is because well because of the show but this is where i start to question like could you be a fan of death clock completely divorced from metalocalypse see uh, i'm just of that mindset that i it's too intertwined with the show for me to even answer that so i i'm not even sure myself like i i the way i see it i just see it as i get killer music to go along with my great tv show Fair, fair enough, but yeah, the music, the music of this album is legitimately awesome. And again, just like part one or the first Death album, the opening track like just kicks down the door. Bloodlines. Is it just me, or does Bloodlines almost feel like it could be a Sepultura song in that intro? Yeah, I kind of feel that too. Just kind of like just going into the idea of just going into Nathan's heritage, going into going into that tribal drum intro, just the guitar work even on its own. I I could totally see this passing as a Chaos AD era Sepultura song. Oh, yeah, for for sure. But at the same time, we're also still talking about a melodic death, a melodic death metal album that's phenomenal, like one of my favorite songs like it just in my uh, further into my adult years i should say for me one of my favorites now is probably black fire upon us especially for the maiden guitar work that you get 
in the middle section where it just lets, well, in this case, Gene Hoagland, but I guess in terms of the show, it lets Pickles kind of just ride that double kick and then the band just pops off. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Um, another another one that for for me um, really sticks out is Death Support. This is from the oh, that was that was one of my gym songs earlier tonight, and uh, that just carried me through halfway through my run. Nice. Uh, also, just to kind of throw it in there as well, I tampered with the evidence at the murder site of Odin. That is a total Death Clock song title. Like that could not pass for any other band, and I kind of love it. Yep, it's it's song titles like that that sort of retain the spirit of like that first death album where you know this this one maybe is a little bit more um focused on like the music but the lyrics still are the lyrics yeah exactly you you still can't take them the most seriously but i almost could picture somebody actually taking it seriously like even on some level i don't really have too much of a comment about a lot of the music videos that would have been made from this time period was with the band but i mean the one music video i did watch last night for bloodlines which i am positive they would have used that in live shows for like the background on the screen that would have been awesome to see in person just nathan running through the jungle and just going and seeing like all of these monuments like that would have been awesome i need to find um there there's 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 probably no foot like actual footage out there but i i really want to try to find like um like and any sort of footage from the 2009 tour because apparent apparently john schnapp actually uh directed the you know like the virtual band um sequence for that See, this is why it bums me out so much that my only time to see Death Clock in Edmonton was when I was in high school before I even got into the band. Because that tour with Macedon playing Crack the Sky in its entirety, getting to see High on Fire and Converge, that that would have been something unreal to see. Yeah, I I would have loved to, um, you know, to experience that whole tour. Yeah, and then also just to kind of throw this into the mix as well, that to my point about how you can almost take this album seriously, just the fact that I'm just seeing how much stuff that this got licensed to, like Bloodlines obviously being in Guitar Hero Warriors of Rock, also in Brutal Legend, which I'll be probably mentioning in a minute here but then throwing in cyborg slayers for saints row the third laser cannon death sentence for guitar hero five like this these albums were basically designed for people like me who played guitar hero a lot in like my early years of high school it kind of reminds me of um i don't i don't know if you were a big homestar runner fan but the limousine song because it's midnight was on um guitar hero 2 and Guitar Hero '80s. Uh, okay. Um. So it's 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 just it's just cool when um when these big like these major video game titles sort of take take tracks from either parody bands or you know less mainstream acts. Yeah, th- that's wicked. And then I have to mention this just before we I guess hop right into season three. This is kind of like in that weird spot before season four and death album 
three where Brendan Small actually got to direct a music video for Soundgarden. Oh yeah, so, he did he did the uh the Black Rain video. Yeah, like this was right as Soundgarden were getting back together and that greatest hits album Telephantasm I played the ever loving shit out of when I was in grade 11, so getting to hear my first Soundgarden song, like my first brand new Soundgarden song, something I never thought would happen growing up as a kid. Like that's awesome. And I low-key kind of wonder, is this part of the show that Soundgarden just come to help death clock save the earth? I'd kind of like to think so. Yeah. I, I consider that uh canon. Then we allow it. It's canon. We said it. It's not head canon. It is canon. Uh, I guess with that in mind, we are hopping right into season three, right where we left off. In this case, after Mordhouse gets attacked. Yep. Um, yeah. Again, what, watching the finale of season two and then going right into the premiere of season three was um, an interesting experience. Um, but yeah, uh, re- renovation clock is uh, a great first first episode with some really cool guests too. Oh, how great is it that Brandon Small basically gets to punch one of his heroes in the face? Like, granted, in animation form, but I mean, he literally just to give people context. Basically, there's a time skip back, and we get introduced to this other plot element that's going to get introduced into season four where it's like who is this other guitar player and where the f- is toki so we just see death clock getting signed to crystal mountain records great death reference there guys and the manager of the record label his son walks into the room and steve Vai is the voice of him Love it. And he gets punched in the face by Nathan Explosion when he starts antagonizing him. And just to kind of give context about Bloodlines and the episode that song is from, he calls him Tonto, which in this case, because Nathan has a bit of a bit of ancestry where he probably is taking it as kind of a epithet where he's like, eh, yeah, fuck you. And then punches him so hard he knocks a tooth out of him. Like just how, again, how how can you not love this show and just what it just goes for the throat with? But it's basically years later since Oftenson's not in the picture anymore. Roy Cor Nicholson Jr. ends up going, "Hey, I want you guys to re-sign a new contract, but on my terms purely." But Death Clock are like, "No, we're gonna put on a super expensive show and make all of our money back," but we're still not going to sign the contract for you but he ends up shutting the show down and then oftenson comes back and ends up saying i'll take care of the contract you guys go play the show and then after the show's finish oftenson said that he pronounces himself dead at the end of the last season and said that there's something you guys will have to know about but i'll tell you when the time's right and if you've seen the show you you know already what what he's referring to yeah exactly like that's kind of what i love about this show so much is that it really doesn't for a show that really started out just as a bunch of 11 minute shorts probably to go in between episodes of something else 
it really doesn't need to have this much character development. It doesn't need to, you know, it, it could just pull an Aqua Teen Hunger Force and just be a series of jokes that just happen to work. But there's just something that feels organic and genuinely funny about this, yet it gets you to actually care about what's going on. Yeah, and it it it, it helps that the people who are writing and coming up with stories like they are they're 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 nerds nerds for heavy metal nerds for horror comic books all of that stuff oh and we should probably bring up a lot of the voice actor celebrities into the mix i guess then i i'm really gonna just say mike introduce the most common one and especially the one that's uh gonna do the voice of our villain salacia oh um... and also our uh also, our gentleman, Mr. Stampingston. Yeah, that's Mark Hamill, guys. Yeah, no joke, guys. They got Mark Hamill right before these new Star Wars movies to be on this show. Like, yeah, and, the to, be, and to be clear, yeah, just, just in case you guys weren't aware, Mark Hamill has been as much a staple of this show as, as Brendan Small, as John Schnepp, as, um, you know, all, all of the you know original writers and creators he's he's as he's as important to the show as like the band themselves and then also they get another one of the best possible actors to be on this show too malcolm mcdowell gets introduced in season two. Oh yeah i i love his his character too oh yeah there he's just he just revels in playing like the most evil person second to salacia but what what's probably your favorite episode of season three because i do feel like eventually the half hour runtime of it does grow on you but it also is something where it's like it just kind of feels like a one-off experiment at the end of the day yeah that's that's pretty much how i felt like i i pretty i pretty much like in in a group chat said like this season is um different, but as, as we get to episodes like Deathmiss, where Murderface and uh, Nubbler put on a uh, Christmas special, that one, that one, and Father Clock, I think, were the ones that really said, like, convinced me that oh no, this show is still good. You you just have to uh, acclimate yourself to the new structure. Yeah, because it is kind of weird not just having, like, after the first three minutes, it cut to a bit with the Tribunal, having Mark Hamill say the most complex name of a character to describe an aspect of a member of Death Clock's personality possible, and then cut into the main plot. Like, sometimes it'll be, like, halfway through the episode that you actually get to that. Yeah, it's it's a different rhythm, but that doesn't make the writing any less um chaotic like delightfully silly um enjoyably dark all of that stuff oh especially one of my favorite episodes has to be death health <laughs> where the main plot is entirely we think pickles is going to die but everybody in the band is too scared to take a urine test so pickles suggests to everybody to be healthy and cleanse themselves by drinking bleach again just <laughs> this this really should not work where a band 
in an episode drinks bleach, but it's hysterical. And then a subplot with Murderface end up ending up thinking that ending up thinking that a doctor was jerking him off and thinking that just just watch the show. Just watch the show. I'm not ruining the payoff for this one. It's hysterical. But the depressing but hysterical part is when Toki comes into play. Everybody basically switches each other's urine sample and just to kind of set everything up toki gets a cat at the beginning of the episode and then once they end up going to these doctor this doctor basically everybody switches each other's urine samples around to the point where it just works its way down the line to toki and then toki says but i switched my urine with my cats and then the cat's the one that dies Again, this show really should not work, but it's just such genius. Then it cuts to a total anime song for Toki that I'm like, this is so totally jarring, but it works. It kind of it kind of makes that episode just perfect for the Adult Swim audience. Yeah, I I can totally picture that. Like pre. Man, I, I can't even think of when Adult Swim used to be like something cool. Like, hey, this is a new cool thing. Now it just feels like the Rick and Morty network to me. Um, We can probably talk about Adult Swim more on an episode of animation. But I'll just say right now, they're in a weird place. And not just because of all the weird bullshit happening with Warner Discovery in general. But getting back to season three, I think my actual favorite episode is uh, Death Sigils. And not just because this episode is weirdly timely with, um, you know, with the writers and actors strike happening now. But we also get a fantastic parody of of like, well, Papa Roach, but more just a general new metal band voiced voiced by um, Mastodon's Brand Daler, uh, Brent Hines. Troy Sanders and Ace Freely. That is just absolutely. G- I I love when Braun says in the episode, "Yo, I'm the singer and rapper. I can do both, son." Like that. I did. In hindsight, it, that feels less like Fred Durst and more like Shifty Shell Shock from Crazy Town, especially given how drugged up Get the Hens is. Oh God, I that that's. I think that's probably probably the idea of the band that it's 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 like limp biscuit papa roach and um crazy town just kind of mushed together yeah in this case especially with the on the (laughs) dj (laughs) part like that that is like okay yeah that has to be limp biscuit and then obviously the song they do forget the hence is obviously last resort yeah like this episode's just genius, especially if you're even a fan of new metal. It's hilarious too. Like it's the genius self-parody, but it's not like outright mocking its audience. Yeah, like like I said before, the best parodies are the ones that are made with love. And I I can't think of like like I don't I don't think like Brendan Small hates new metal. Um, he probably does. Realistically, I mean. just going on wikipedia and just looking up his age i guess at this rate i'm assuming in the 90s he would have had to have been like 28 and more into like 
virtuoso guitar players and thrash. He probably was not a big fan of Corn. I'm going to assume. Probably not, but the fact that the the song that get get the hence plays is like eerily close to last resort take it, it takes like legitimate effort uh, and then we also have to include how great the finale of this is too especially with just the general premise of it is death clock literally parties with dave grohl yep uh, that that's all i'm gonna say as soon as you see dave's character in the show just trust me it's genius but death clock ends up booking a gig the same day in both israel and syria and oftenson is pissed like he, he has had enough of the band acting like children throughout the entirety of this season and he's just kind of like at his wits end but this is also kind of where we get introduced to the idea of the Falconback project that the tribunal is working on even with season four, I don't even think that much of that gets resolved. Maybe it's going to get resolved with the movie, but just for whatever reason, that's introduced in this episode. But then the band ends up playing this show with 3D holograms appearing in both countries. And one of my favorite songs on Death Album 3, The Galaxy, plays throughout the entirety of this and just throughout the episode you think everything's gonna go to <laughs> but then you see these soldiers approach this kid and then they you end up finding out that they all have death clock shirts so there, there's there's something i have to ask do you do you believe in the death clock curse <sighs> one part of me kind of does but i mean they kind of avoid it in this episode like this probably has to be one of the few times a death clock show wasn't from the band purely playing live yeah this this is the episode that kind of that kind of made me doubt the curse but, but i i do think that all of the band members do have like secret powers that they don't know about maybe like toki would have to be the god of death because everything that pretty much everything that he loves ends up dying the cat his guitar teacher but that his father uh, yeah well the father, that is kind of just him being like he wants to honor his dad before he dies and then, you know, just kind of generally interferes, slips, and then lets his body sink into the ice river. So uh, I don't really know. Maybe it's something that's going to get resolved in this movie, but I, I don't really want to get bogged down in speculation at this rate. Fair enough. Want to want to jump right into... uh Oh, wait, no, we can't do that yet because Death Album 3 technically is the culmination of seasons three and season four, which this is the season that kind of more or less gets back to basics, at least I... at least in terms of episode structure. If we want to get even more technical, there are some songs from Death Album 2 that appear in three, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, this might be a hot take. I actually think season four might be the best one. Hard to disagree. Yeah, like this is just kind of the best balance of everything from seasons one, two, and three. Yeah, you don't have a lot of, uh, you don't have the time length of the episodes that season three had, but you had a lot more of the character development that's introduced throughout it. 
You want the darkness from season two? You've got that in spades here. You want the even funnier jokes throughout this season? That's all the callbacks to season one you really need throughout it. Like even just how great is that introduction of Death Clock returning to Earth? Pretty great. And also something that season four has that the others don't, Werner Herzog is like for at least a handful of episodes, he's kind of like the narrator for for like the beginning. Oh, yeah. It will totally reveal who his character is throughout this, but like they get some even like even weirder celebrity guest appearances on here. Like they get Dr. Drew in this episode. Yeah, but that's even, so weird one. Even weirder how they managed to get him in the middle of Mad Men. They get John Hamm to be in this show. Yeah, that's a that specifically given like the time um that that he was in this yeah it's 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 a weird get i would think that they would have had to have had dirt on him oh also um like continuing down the list of awesome guest mute like musicians cam pipes from three inches of blood yes of course and then of course like this has a lot more of uh corpse grinders especially bringing back the revengeance they the revengeancers really didn't do much in season three but they kind of come back here but for me I, I i honestly can't pick a favorite episode throughout the entirety of this like the mother clock episode is funny because pickles finally stands up to his mom for always kissing <laughs> to seth even though pickles is literally in the biggest heavy metal band of all time then you have the episode where toki writes a book about how squizgar won't let him contribute so much to the band to the point where he ends up hijacking a solo from squizgar that he's playing in norway mike do i dare ruin the payoff in this episode for people or do i just let them watch it I think I think this one you sh you should let them see for themselves. Yeah, it it just trust me, guys. Go watch the episode book clock and just have an absolute laugh at it. It is unbelievably funny. And then, like just throughout this entire show of it, basically season four's plot mainly revolves around after Death Clock come back to Earth. Nathan doesn't feel confident that it's like is this really the album we should be putting out? Like, he does not like the album art. He doesn't like how it sounds, the production. He just is like, there's something wrong with this. So literally tornadoes and floods and tsunamis start happening internationally. And then eventually it's revealed that those purposefully destroyed every copy of a new Death Clock album. And the only one left is in Mordhouse, and Nathan's just sitting there getting drunk on tequila going, I need to destroy this. And then he ends up pissing off Pickles by destroying the album. As as far as like setting setting up a um like setting up storylines, that is kind of the perfect domino um to fall for all of the other conflicts that Pickles and Nathan have. Yeah, like the Pickles and Nathan never really had this much drama in the other seasons. In this one, it's like they're fighting over everything, over who's going to end up sleeping with Abigail, over just 
everything to do with the record and the band to the point where Death Clock break up towards the end of the season. Before we get too far into that, do do you want to properly introduce Abigail? Yes. So basically, Dick Nubbler is in basically in I'm just going through the Wikipedia of each episode. In the episode Writer's Clock, Abigail gets introduced, and basically she's the band's new producer. Dick Nubbler's out of the picture, and she makes them go on vacation. So eventually she does end up hiring Dick Nubbler as an engineer, but it's basically she's running the show behind the mixing board for the band, and they end up going back into a submarine underwater to record a new album. And the entire joke throughout one of the episodes where we get to see Nathan and Abigail interact more is how much Nathan really is like, we are, none of us are going down on anyone. (laughs) But like everybody in the submarine is just so horny that they're like, we, we gotta do something. Otherwise our, just our heads are going (laughs) to explode down here. And then eventually Nathan obviously gives in while his mic is turned up for the rest of the band to hear. Mm, yep. Yeah. Again, this is the this show really should not be trying this hard to introduce drama and more character development, but it just works. It it does. And then just this is where at the end of the season we get introduced to the idea of the Church of the Black Clock, where They basically explain everything to the band and they do not understand any of it. But Oftenson explains why he had himself be pronounced dead, where Salacia is basically introduced as the half man, where pretty much Oftenson witnessed Salacia brainwashing General Crozier and putting a curse on him that separates his body from his soul. But the Church of the Black Clock saves Oftenson and he becomes known as the dead man. So Salacia can't see what he's doing. So Oftenson ends up finding more about the Falconback project before coming back to the band, before signing that bad contract with Crystal Mountain Records, and that they eventually explain why Nathan ends up destroying the record and just... The entire band is just like, what the fuck is going on? We're just trying to make brutal metal out here. Oh, yeah. I I, I think out of, out of all the finales, Church of the Black Clock is probably my favorite. Yeah, by far, especially throughout the entire season where Nathan is just like, I absolutely have an issue trying to apologize to people. And literally his body just shuts down and starts just like spewing out blood trying to apologize to pickles like it gets weirdly touching in places Mm -hmm. now i'm i am curious um when exactly did small and company find out that the show was getting canceled because you know having having the band break up is a pretty typical um storyline to introduce towards like the end of of this kind of series 
not gonna jump into that just yet especially just because uh one one thing i should mention before i forget so remember how in season three we get introduced to a character we have no idea who this person is and we're like where the hell is toki we end up finding out who magnus hammersmith is in one episode where he's basically introduced as a member of death clock that gets kicked out of the band for having violent outbursts and just being an egomaniac why do I have a strong suspicion this is a parody of Dave Mustaine? Oh, yeah. And and guess who voices Magnus? Oh, God. I don't actually have this pulled up. Tell me. Mark Marin. God, I, I'm totally having a brain dead moment. Explain. Um, so Mark Mark Marin is a um, you know, he's a he's a stand he's a stand-up comedian, hosts like a couple podcasts, but like there, there's just something about his his performance that I don't know is just kind of perfect for for a character with this with this much of an ego. Yeah, exactly. So I have to bring up Magnus because Roy Cor Nicholson, like right as Death Clock are breaking up, they find out he pass. He basically Roy Cor Nicholson gets murdered by Salacia in the episode beforehand, and then afterwards at the funeral magnus decides to literally as the revengeancers are attacking literally stabs toki in the back and kidnaps him and abigail truly truly evil yeah and unfortunately for most of the general population this is kind of just where the show ends for a lot of people I, we'll get into obvious things kind of after we're done talking about how great Death Album 3 is, but I mean, just in general, for this should have been like a second to last season, at least. Yeah, and it honestly feels like one. Yeah, like, it'd just be kind of like if... Uh, best analogy i can use would be if buffy the vampire slayer ended after that really vague and ambiguous ending to season four and then just said nope no season five nothing you get nothing you're done and it just feels like a big pulling the rug out from under your feet moment i feel like yeah i i can't imagine how general audiences felt after after this finale i i guess with that in mind because we still do get albums and tours from them i'm gonna mention this before death album three this could have been my chance to see death clock but unfortunately real world situations prevented it in 2012 mike can you guess the reason why um i'm i'm trying i'm trying to think like who would they have been touring with around that around that time it was supposed to be lamb of god death clock and gojira okay that makes sense yeah um this that's a tour that neither one of us should have should have missed well it's a tour that nobody should have missed but unfortunately the czech republic decided not to let randy bly he was wanted for attempted for manslaughter basically I almost said attempted murder for some reason but they didn't tell lamb of god or their management hey you're wanted and we're gonna arrest you as soon as you enter this country and you're wanted on these charges nobody thinks it's a great <laughs> idea to tell him that seriously so that, that basically puts 
the nail in that tour's coffin, but in almost just as good tour gets announced with machine head black dahlia murder and all that remains that's a pretty kick-ass tour that unfortunately came nowhere near western canada but i guess with that in mind um this also kind of ties in as a hot take with season four being my favorite what if i told you death album three might be my favorite again hard to disagree where I said for season, where I said for Death Album 2 that this is an album that you can almost take, I'm almost beyond the opening track's title alone. I almost totally could take Death Album 3 seriously. Mm, yeah. I like, we like, we kind of talked about this off air that like the only reason you can't take this album seriously. Again, aside from the very obvious title of the opening track, like... You want me to say it? Go ahead. The opening track of this album is called I Ejaculate Fire, and the entire music video for it is about a mummy coming back to life to jerk off and shoot fire into people's faces. As, as I was saying, um, opening track aside, the only reason you can't take this album seriously is because the episode... Is because of the episode's that they've uh originated in i mean like yeah i ejaculate fire is literally in the section of the death health episode where literally they invent machines to neuter animals like just the fact that i know that association with that song makes me take it even less seriously now and then you have crush the industry which is a phenomenal song just i i can't as not associate it now with nathan on stage just saying to a loud crowd that tonight we're going to make money commit suicide and then shooting balls of cash out of a gun and just making it explode um as as far as other fa favorite tracks on this album it's kind of hard to pick i mean i i have my my favorite riffs um but even even that like it's it's just it's just hard to choose because every single song has like some of Brendan Small's best guitar riffs. Oh, a hundred percent. Like I'm gonna be honest. Does Starved remind you quite a bit of Meshuga? It does a little bit. Yeah, like uh, listening to that earlier today, I totally was getting like, especially because it came out the same year was uh, Coloss, which I totally couldn't help but be like, yeah, this to <laughs> Brendan must have been listening to a lot of Meshuggah in the studio. Impeach God was also on my gym playlist for tonight. And like that, no, it wasn't Impeach God. It was Ghost Queen that was on my gym playlist. And like... <laughs> Just when I was doing like nothing but chest crunches, that was just like perfect. I, I love how much the bass is um is forward in the mix on that song. Which is so funny because if this were the show, they'd be trying to they would be trying to replace all of Murder Face's parts. Yeah, uh, that is pretty funny. But my personal favorites, aside from Crush the Industry, which is phenomenal, I'm gonna have to go with one of my top three favorites being the galaxy especially for that music video where nathan is kidnapped by the drum machine from season three and then the band's just in a spaceship trying to find nathan and they just end up firing weapons at all of these robots just by playing their instruments 
it, it's the nerdiest sci-fi video ever made but at the same time i just can't help but go like there's so much charm behind this that i dig it keep talking i'm, I'm gonna see if shep directed that video yeah pull that up because like i i would have to know myself too also sky hunter is an amazing song especially for that chorus like as soon as as soon as that chorus kicks in i'm like oh this is so ridiculously heavy but at the same time like the big riffs and melodies are amazing throughout it another one that's also probably a personal favorite andromeda also kind of has some it has some more like traditional thrash stuff especially just given that gene hoagland played on uh, dark roots of earth by testament the same year that this came out in and also kill Stardo abominate is also amazing too like it, this album's just packed to the brim with just amazing songs throughout it. So this one, that video was directed by um, Felipe Sal Salazar. Um, okay. I I only assumed it was Schnapp because like the plot of that video just just screams like nerd like nerdy. It probably was something the entire band conceived because you got to remember that this is the same year that Brendan Small put out the first Galacticon records, so. Probably he was in a big sci-fi mood throughout that entire year. Oh, yeah, good point. Um, another track I do want to highlight because this is the only virtual personnel credit that Magnus has is on the hammer. Yes. Like, that that's the only time I can kind of feel like this doesn't feel like it has any riffs that are kind of like that's something Toki totally would play. Um yeah, the ham the hammer is the most different, but it's for that reason that I don't hate it. In, yeah, in fact, exactly. I ge I genuinely think it's I genuinely think it's a it's a good riff. Feel like in in universe, like we can have our own opinions about it because Magnus is like a raging, <laughs> but but the song itself is about as good as the rest of the album yeah exactly but i think you and me might both have our favorite song on the album are you talking about rejoin absolutely and what and what a great closer it, it is too like i almost am convinced that this could have opened the album i'm i i'm 100 percent convinced that Brendan was totally going to open up Death Album 3 with Rejoin the same way that he had it open up season 4. I'm totally convinced of that. I I wouldn't be surprised if that if that was like the original idea. Yeah, and I kind of can't this is probably the Death Clock song I can take the most serious. Like there like guys just listen to this part of the song. I really can't help but feel like this is kind of just setting up a potential finale for the show, especially when Nathan drops in the lyric and no one will survive something along those lines. Like I kind of can't help but feel like 
holy shit, is this really going to be the end for Death Clock throughout the entirety of that section? And then you just get more amazing riffs, more amazing guitar work and drumming, and just, it's a great way to close out a record. I also just kind of wish it was an opening track. I would almost just take an entire album of Rejoined at this rate. Same. But... This is kind of where we also have to have the episode weirdly dragged to a standstill because uh, something weird happens in the Death Clock world in 2013. This barely got any kind of promotion. Like there was a little bit of hype. I remember hearing about it back in the day, but like not to the degree of like a new season or new album and uh, just people not on wikipedia like me and mike right now that's obviously the doomstar requiem which for the last 10 years has been the quote conclusion to metalocalypse uh objection your honor yes well i mean the fact that this um this special ends on a cliffhanger means there there's there's no fucking way this this is the ending like it it can't be well, I, I mostly just say it was, it quote, was the ending for 10 years because, like, ugh, we're, we're going to jump a little bit ahead on this one. Adult Swim, basically, after the Doomstar Requiem, had no interest in continuing this show or, like, even letting Brendan end it. Um, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think timeline, timeline-wise why like let me see exactly when rick and morty premiered like for me i just kind of can't help but feel like if this had gotten a lot more promotion maybe even have the soundtrack drop on like the actual like physical cd and vinyl drop on the same day as the special or like the tuesday after because cds would still have come out on tuesdays back then but i kind of can't help but feel like this should have been promoted a lot more because it's not like Metalocalypse wasn't popular on Adult Swim. Yeah, which which makes its um at the time cancellation all the more baffling. And to add to how baffling it is, just given that this is also an experiment kind of similar to how season three was toying around with half-hour episodes, this toys around with the idea of a full-blown musical. Or, as they call it, a clock opera. Precisely. Yeah, so basically, the majority of the Doomstar Requiem is, like, right after Toki is kidnapped. The Church of the Black Clock notices the Doomstar is being born. One of the members is going to have to die, and basically the death clock just don't give a they just want to go around drinking doing all of the drugs banging all of the groupies they just don't give a that their friend is basically mia and nathan's crush is god knows where but what winds up happening is they end up driving away most of their fans from a show when a hologram of toki comes up and that seriously my favorite part is still when nathan goes togi we're coming to save you that more of that please i could stand for an episode of this show of nathan just saying that yeah 
But like, it's also kind of a bummer beyond the flashback sequence that we don't get a lot of him throughout this, but like, we do get to see a lot of him and Squizgar in that flashback, which is great. Yeah, I think that's my favorite part of of the special that almost reminds me a little bit of you. Do you remember before Robert Trujillo uh, joined Metallica and they had like this like huge open audition for for new bassist? Yes, especially just given that Brendan Small recently said in interviews some kind of monster was an inspiration for Metalocalypse. So yeah, I totally get kind of get where you're going with. Yeah, so basically before to- in in between Magnus getting kicked out and before Toki joins, they like they they do just that a a huge open audition for a new rhythm guitarist. Like you 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 see Squizgar literally destroying them. Until until Toki comes in, the like the the sweet young naive uh, Norwegian um, like come comes in. Um, he's like the last one there, and then he's basically the only guitarist who comes like even close to matching Squizgar's talent. Oh yeah, that's just kind of my thing. Like yeah, Squizgar's obviously the best guitarist in the band, but like Toki is almost just as good. The only problem is just that he doesn't practice to the degree of Squizgar. Yeah, like pretty much every scene that Squizgar's in, he's like noodling around on on his um Gibson Explorer, whereas which is also Brendan Small's guitar. Nice. But like you know ne- you like you never see Toki doing the same thing. So that that's that's why it doesn't feel like they're on the same level in the present. Yeah, like, and also just kind of like as a bit of a side note, but to kind of tie into it. No, we're not going to be talking about the soundtrack because it's basically just the episode of the show. Just you don't get the visual side of it. But like one thing I do want to make a note of is uh, even in like the most recent Death Clock shows, the dual section of this episode is so good that they actually do play it live. Now that's awesome. Yeah, like as much as like I don't consider it an actual like fourth Death Clock album, I kind of can't help but feel like, yeah, this is something that's worth like making a note of and something that's <laughs> that's just pretty great, really, just to kind of give the Doomstar Requiem extra life. The other thing that I just kind of can't stand about how this was so heavily mispromoted is that this has never seen a DVD or a Blu-ray release. And not only that, but on Max, it's it's just kind of lumped into season four. Like, I get it's from, like, it's only like a year after season four would have ended, but like that that just mismarkets the entire thing to people who might not know about it. And I kind of feel that's unfair towards Doomstar, especially just given that pretty much just to kind of spoil and kind of explain why this ends on a cliffhanger, the tribunal earlier in the special, they're talking about how there's going to be a potential traitor within death clock and it's revealed when they go to the club that they used to play at, somebody starts scratching at Murderface's arm, and you think it's just, like, some weirdo that's just trying to, like, draw blood from her or something. So, basically, they end up finding out that the Metal Masked Assassin and Magnus are at their old jam space where they hired Toki. They save him and Abigail, 
and the Doomstar ends up killing the masked assassin and Magnus. And at the end of the episode, you see Murderface's entire body start turning like bright glowing purple. And that's and that's where and that's where the special leaves off. So when we say we're just befuddled, annoyed, and frustrated that this show basically ends on a cliffhanger. Yeah, it's kind of a dick move that you're not letting Brendan finish his creation. Yeah. I I can't even think if it was just something that was a change in management or just a change in direction or just they wanted to focus on other things at Adult Swim, but it's like you were canceling things like even Aqua Teen Hunger Force at the time, and that easily could have kept going as well. I I am wondering if, like, perhaps, perhaps, like, Brendan Small and Mike Lazo, who was running Adult Swim at the time, had some sort of falling out or may or maybe may, maybe it's just as simple as lazo wants to try other things so out with the old guard in in with the fresh meat maybe that's probably the most realistic explanation to just kind of be like well why not just let it end so just bear all of this in mind because there was genuine attempts throughout the 2010s to try and get a finale to metalocalypse it was just it was a longer variation of calling it Army of the Doomstar. The, the, I'm just pulling it up right now. It was supposed to have the final chapter be tacked on at the end of the title. So here's how big of a deal this resurrection campaign was. Basically, the goal of it was to get Hulu to finance Adult Swim to make a finale to Metalocalypse. Mike, guess who got involved? Metallica. <laughs> yeah. My favorite band of all time literally did not need to do this. They did not need to get involved. They didn't even need to do much of anything, but literally Metallica wrote and sent a letter over to the Adult Swim offices and said, hey, we would really love if Hulu could bring Metalocalypse back and give it the ending it deserves and have a shit ton of guitar picks. Didn't, didn't they call the movement uh, Metalocalypse Now? Yeah, they did. That That is a badass title. And it would have been even awesome if it worked, but instead Adult Swim decided to antagonize everybody by having all of these faxes be live streamed going straight into a garbage can. In other words, fuck you, you're not getting your ending. It It, it is very mean-spirited of them to do that, but... At the same time, Adult Swim has been known for pulling huge elaborate pranks. Yeah, that is true. We are talking about a we are talking about a channel that did an April Fool's Day tradition of airing the room nonstop and just literally <laughs> having random having random interviews be spliced into the middle of it yeah for the, for those who for those who don't know look look up all of adult swims pranks over the years they are the stuff of legend yeah exactly sometimes it's dickish like this but then other times it can be kind of genius but for years we thought this might just be where the story ends but we also 
have one more thing you want to make that we want to make a note of. Mike, I'll give you the floor for this one because we have to go back to 2012 very briefly. Oh, right. Yeah. So Brennan Small is clearly still infected with like the musician bug, but because he can't legally perform under the name Death Clock, he kind of starts his own solo gig. And that's where we have uh, Brendan Small's Galacticon. That, that's kind of a bit of a half-truth. So basically, Galacticon was something he was working on between seasons two and three and working on a second death album. But apparently there was like some legal negotiations. But him, Gene Hoagland, and Brian Beller, they still had the studio time booked and he literally said okay f this i'm gonna spend my own money and get these guys doing something and that ended up birthing the first galacticon record which i heavily recommend you all go back and jam that because it's a really awesome splice of prog and power metal it's awesome i'll, I'll admit i didn't i didn't get to jam uh the first one as much but uh galacticon 2 become the storm which was released five years later that that album is awesome so we bring galacticon up purely because in its own kind of weird way it doesn't really have a lot to do with the plot of the first galacticon album and even gene hoagland has gone on in interviews to say that basically it it's supposed to serve as a placeholder for a new death clock album. Just, it can't be called that because of adult swim owning the rights to it. But it says, if you love this out, if you love death clock, you're going to love this record. And stylistically, it honestly, for me is more in the vein of Doomstar requiem than it is like any of the death albums. You're not wrong. Like it like has a lot, it has a lot more clean vocals, a lot more like, <sighs> I hate saying clean vocals in this case. It has a lot more regular singing, I'll say. A lot of the progier song structures, especially on Ocean Galactic, is kind of in the vein of the first Galacticon. But once you get to the back half of this record, this really feels like a Death Clock record. It it almost it almost feels like um those songs on the back half were kind of like smuggled into um Galacticon. Yeah in their own weird way and also if you're gonna listen to this don't listen to it in the cd or digital release way don't because like like me you'll just end up feeling like okay it's a cool album but it just kind of exists in its own universe the cat i say that purely because on the vinyl release that actually tells the more appropriate story of the album that in its own weird way can be kind of interpreted as the ending for Metalocalypse. Yep. Um, for the for those who don't um, have this on vinyl, there is a there's a playlist on YouTube that has the tracks in their vinyl order. Yeah, which I'm gonna be needing to pick up that vinyl at some point because once you hear it in the intended track listing, this thing's phenomenal. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, and in some ways you can interpret a lot of it as plot elements from Metalocalypse in its own weird way. It almost feels like rebuilding a planet is supposed to be like them winning the battle against Salacia and just having to like build a brand new planet around. I, I don't know how the Doomstar is going to even tie into it, 
but like become the storm has to be them fighting salacia nathan killing him in to kill a god and then could this be the end just is the ending to the story all that all that all sounds like pretty accurate also uh, i totally mentioned this in our own private chat mike but like is it just me or does ocean galactic's intro sound eerily similar to mermaider that's what i was thinking too because thank you because i was like this this totally is just mermaider 3 like you know if, before if, we get mermaider 3 next week right um if if nothing else the ocean galactic just um just think, thinking about the motif of a lot of death clocks um songs or at least at least like the mermaider songs um the ocean and water um do play a big part in in uh, metalocalypse so that was kind of my big giveaway that oh so the theories are true that this is that this could have been the ending of um of the series yeah and, and don't forget like a lot of the stuff with the whales and nathan floating in the water in front of them like I just kind of feel like this is for years. This was the closest thing we were gonna get. Yeah, the, these these were like the breadcrumbs that that fans had to just accept. Yeah, uh, and unfortunately, that's where our story has to end with this band that we're fans of. It it just sucks that we couldn't have gotten a finale to a great show, a great adult animated show, no less. That also gave us some phenomenal music in, at the same time. But is that really where the story ends? <sighs> well, thankfully, again, on Tuesday, it won't be anymore. Um, much much like the, um, the Doomstar Requiem special, this podcast actually ends on a cliffhanger. Yes, but we thankfully won't be making you wait 10 years for the conclusion of it because... We'll be back to talk about the movie, and we'll also be back to talk about Death Album 4. So uh, I guess with that in mind, Mike, care if I give some promo for where people can find these records? Yes, please, because um, physical media is more important now than it's ever been. Oh, especially with Disney being fucking douchebags trying to you know, pull out all physical media from Australia. That's probably coming soon over here in Canada and the US. So Disney, I'm buying all the movies I fucking want from you. And then I, <laughs> once I actually get all the stuff I want from you, I might even cancel Disney plus in like, I would rather have these movies physically forever. Fuck you. Anyways, besides the point. So kind of like Mike was saying, Death Clock records, unfortunately, are hard to come by. Even just going on Amazon in Canada for me, all I could find were used copies that were going for like ninety to one hundred thirty dollars. That's that's and just then, insane. And then you throw it in the mix that like just some of these I don't even know if they were the deluxe or standard editions or just were uploaded by some third party seller on Amazon. So. The only way I can say that you're going to want to pick these albums up on CD or vinyl, you're going to want to snag up the vinyl quick, go to Revolver Magazine's shop. They're running 
sales and pre-orders for every death album on their site a lot of them are sold out already but you can still pick up the cds at the very least it's going to be the first time the deluxe edition of death album one is going to be released in like 15 years almost wow that's insanely scary to say at this rate but yeah that's going to be the way you're going to want to pick up the first four death albums and if you're wanting to pick up the show on i have to do my toki impression you can pick it up on dvd no joke you literally can pick up the entire series on dvd almost sans the doomstar requiem that recently just got released this week and death clock are going to be on an awesome tour i can't see with baby metal and jason richardson from all that remains this summer actually this fall excuse me that that tour sounds amazing and yeah unfortunately i don't see any dates for um for new york either yeah like i I was talking to one of my friends last night and I told her, like, I'm probably going to have to end up traveling to even go see Death Clock at this rate. Apparently, those uh, those adult swim block parties that they hold for festivals, apparently those are really fun. So if Death Clock play one of those ever, I, I might come down to the U.S. just to go see that. Yeah, I'm, I might have I might have to find one of those, too. Yeah, I I guess with that in mind, you'll probably end up seeing me next when we're talking about the movie and Death Album 4 then. But until next time, Nick, where can everyone find you online? Uh, Exclusively and only at Super Saiyan Death Metal God on Instagram. I mostly post album covers, whatever vinyl I own copies of and happen to be listening to movies typically horror and again adult animated stuff and then as well action movies in the mix as well i try to post photos of like whatever video game i end up beating that week and i'm currently running through the exorcist series given that we're getting a new movie in october nice and you guys can find me on various social media at captain k42 you can also check my letterbox um letterbox.com coach k42 you can also find Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and that other place at Ren Pop Culture. You can also find this on YouTube, on Podchaser. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash renegadepopculture. You can also listen to all of our podcasts on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. And last but not least, everything can be found at renegadepopculture.com. Need escape? So do we. That'll do it for this episode of Renegade Jukebox. We will catch guys later. Nick, take us out. This podcast totally ends not dildos, Turkey.